0: Let us pray. Father. It's our desire that you would speak to us through your word. That you would renew our minds, that you would challenge our hearts, Lord, that you would change us and transform us by encountering you through your word. Lord, by your Holy Spirit, we ask that you would. Illumine our minds to comprehend the depth of your word and open our hearts to love the truth of your word. Lord, as you build your church, we pray this morning that you would work in each of our hearts and our minds to build us into a likeness, a greater likeness of Christ. Lord, that our lives would reflect the glory of Christ day by day. Lord, that you would teach us how to live for you how to exalt you, and how to praise you in all that we do. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you have your copy of the Word of God, I want to invite you to open up to the Gospel of John this morning, chapter 10, verse 22. The title of the message this morning, Jesus, Messiah, Son of God. For these are the titles that we see ascribed to Jesus, or we see the Jews asking Jesus about. When it comes to his identity and uh, his ministry, his mission. And what, what, I, what I want us to see this morning in this text is that as sheep of Jesus' flock, we must trust in his care and his leadership, knowing that he holds his sheep securely. We see Jesus in this text, continuing from chapter 10, verses 1 through 21. We see him as the good shepherd As the sanctified son of God sent from the father on divine mission to care for his sheep and ultimately to bring his sheep home. And so if you found your place in verse 22, say amen. Follow along as I read. At that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon The Jews then gathered around him and were saying to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe the works that I do in my father's name. These testify of me. But you do not believe because you're not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them. And they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. And Jesus answered them, I showed you many good works from the father. For which of them are you stoning me? The Jews answered him for a good work. We do not stone you. But for blasphemy, because you being a man, make yourself out to be God. Jesus answered them, has it not been written in your law? I said you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the father sanctified and sent into the world? You are blaspheming because I said I am the son of God. If I do not do the works of my father, do not believe me. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works so that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I am in the father. Therefore, they were seeking again to seize, seize him and he eluded their grasp and he went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was first baptizing and he was staying there. Many came to him and were saying, while John performed no sign, yet everything John said about this man was true. Many believed in him there. This text continues from chapter 10, verses 1 through 21, where we see Jesus as the good shepherd. And there's there's a connection. And John makes this connection for us, especially in verses 27 through 29, but we see the the fleshing out or the working out of the good shepherd in the lives of his sheep, but also in challenging those who were rejecting the ministry of Christ. And so we're clued into the background and and the setting here. John clues us into the setting by citing the time of the feast of dedication in verse 22. It was about. Two months after he had finished the discourse and the parable on the good shepherd, he had healed the, 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 uh, the blind beggar. In the second half of chapter 10, it, it, takes, it takes us to help us. Uh, it, it show, John shows us that what Jesus is doing is he's challenging these religious leaders who don't want to have anything to do with him, they don't want to embrace his ministry. In fact, they are flat out rejecting his ministry. The Feast of Dedication was really a, a recent new feast that was adopted among the Jews. And it was adopted among the Jews as a result of the rededication of the temple. Because in 167 B.C., Antiochus, uh, Antiochus Epiphanes IV installed a pagan cult in the temple of Judaism, in the Jerusalem temple. And when he did, he desecrated the Jerusalem temple by erecting a statue of a false god and then sacrificing a pig on the altar within the temple. In 164, three years later, Judas Maccabeus revolted. He led a revolt and he took back control of the temple. And when he did, they began this feast of dedication that happened on the 25th of Kislev or around the 14th of December. And that celebration still happens today. It's also known as the Feast of Lights or the eight days of Hanukkah. That celebration continues for the Jewish people today, and it's the feast of rededication of the temple. And so this is the time frame that Jesus is speaking to the Jews. The remainder of chapter 10 really moves in three quick scenes, beginning in verse 24. And in verses 24 through 30, we see the first scene that is challenged to Messiahship. They challenge Jesus's Messiahship. In fact, verse 24 says the Jews, and that's one of the, the ways that the Apostle John, as he's writing the gospel, identifies those who are uh, against the ministry of Jesus. The, the Jews of verse 24, then gathered around him. Now, the English text isn't as forceful as it is. In the Greek text, they were doing more than just gathering around him. Literally, what they had done is they had come and they had surrounded Jesus as he's there in the temple walking in the portico of Solomon. These Jews come up to Jesus and they just surround him in the sense of saying, it's time to talk. We need to to know something. And so in verse 24, they ask him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. They issue a command, an ultimatum to Jesus. If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. We need to know plainly, are you the Messiah? The problem with their question was their concept of Messiah. We've already seen this this in place and this issue taking place in in various uh, chapters in the Gospel of John throughout and Jesus' ministry and interaction with the crowds. Their concept of Messiah is a—it's a political concept. It's one of a political ruler, and so Jesus can't give them the plain, straightforward answer that they're looking for because they don't understand the nature of His true messiahship. And I, I would ask today: How many don't truly understand the nature of Christ as Messiah, as the promised one of God? Sure, maybe all in the room here this morning, maybe all of us gathered under this roof, understand the true nature of Christ as Messiah. But how many that we interact with on a daily basis truly understand the the nature of Christ as Messiah, of Jesus as the Messiah? Jesus knows their hearts and He knows what's driving their question. And so He responds by giving three truths about His Messiahship. And the first truth is is seen in verse twenty five. Jesus's works reveal the good character and the power of God. Verse twenty five, he points them to the works that he has done in his father's name. I told you and you you don't believe he says there in verse twenty five, the works that I do in my father's name, these testify of me. For Jesus, the father's name stands for the essence of of the father's being. It it stands for who the father is. And since his works have been done in the father's name, he claims to be the father's representative. In John 543, Jesus has already stated, I have come in my father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. And so as the father's representative, Jesus acts with the father's divine authority. And so by doing these works, he can say later in John 17, six, in his high priestly prayer, he can say, I've manifested your name to the men whom you gave me. That's the disciples out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. And so Jesus is telling the the those who are, who are questioning him. He's saying, these, these works, they're good works, they testify of me. What were these works? Well, the healing of the lame man at the pool of Bethesda. Jesus comes to him and says, get up and, and walk. Take up your mat and, and carry your mat. Or the healing of the blind man, the blind beggar in chapter 9, where Jesus opens his physical eyes that were dark, that they may see light. And they see light for the first time, and it's a commentary on, on our lives and our spiritual journey that Christ himself is the one that gives us light. Or, as we see next week in chapter 11, the resurrection of Lazarus, that Christ himself is, he is the one who raises Lazarus from the dead. And so these works, they testify of Christ and that they, they reveal the power of God. That God is the only one who can cause a lame man to get strength in his legs and begin to walk again. God is the only one that can take the darkness of a man's blind eyes and give him sight to be able to see. And God is the only one. He is the only one. Who can cause the dead to raise to life. We'll see next week. And so only God can do this. And so these works testify to Christ. The works that he has done point us to see Christ as the one sent from the father. They not only reveal the power of God, but they also reveal the good character of God. The good character of God and that God in his goodness, he restores and he heals the brokenness of humanity. And it points us to see the goodness of Jesus as Messiah. Messiah. Jesus himself is the one sent from the father, the Messiah, and he himself is the one who heals brokenness. He heals the brokenness of humanity. He's the only one who can. He is the one whom the father has sent to engage and to interact and to intersect the creation. So he walked, as John one tells us. The incarnate word that in the beginning was the word, and the word became the word was God, the word was with God, and the word became flesh, and he dwelt among us in John one fourteen. And so we see this truth that Christ Himself is the one sent by the Father, and his works reveal the good character and the power of God in verse twenty five. But the second truth we see about Jesus' Messiahship is seen in verse 26. And that is only Christ's sheep will believe. Verse 26, he says, but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. This is perhaps the most difficult truth for us to grasp. And at some point, I want to encourage you, we, we have to relinquish our ability to balance out God's sovereignty and man's responsibility in salvation, and, and, and we simply must trust in God's goodness and in his providential care. We accept the grace of God and in our salvation and the salvation of our souls. We we believe upon the work of Christ and we rejoice that he is the good shepherd has redeemed us. Jesus tells them the reason they do not believe is because they are not his sheep. In fact, in verse 26, the first two words there in our English translation, but you, it's emphatic. It's emphatic here and it speaks to the very ones who challenge and doubt His Messiahship. Similarly, it's a direct challenge to those today who doubt and challenge Jesus as Messiah. The point that he's making is that those who are not of Christ's fold cannot understand that Jesus is the Messiah sent by God. And consequently, they reject him. They reject his message. They reject his works and all that he stands for. They reject the divine mission of Christ because they do not understand the nature of Christ's Messiahship, Jesus's Messiahship. John makes it clear for his readers. Jesus's Messiahship is such that it's not visible to unbelievers, One commentator said this, from the human standpoint, we become his sheep by believing. But from the divine standpoint, we believe because we are his sheep. You know, this is in line with what Jesus has already said in John chapter six, verse sixty four. But there are some of you who do not believe for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe And who it was that would betray him. And he was saying. For this reason I have said to you. That no one can come to me. Unless it's been granted him from the father. Or in John 12.39. For this reason. They could not believe. For Isaiah said again. He has blinded their eyes. And he hardened their hearts. So that they would not see with their eyes. And perceive with their heart. And be converted. And I healed them. Brothers and sisters I want to encourage you in this if nothing else allow the words of Christ in this text to to remove all pressure when you think about evangelizing the lost when you think about sharing the gospel with those who don't know Christ whether someone believes and professes Christ as lord it, it's not up to me i can't convince or manipulate a person's heart to trust in god in the good shepherd We can't coerce or or force someone's hand to believe. All we can do is present the truth of the gospel of Christ to those that we come in contact with and and live around. We can pray that by God's grace, their eyes would be open and the darkness of sin in their life would be illumined and, and they would see the need of Christ as Savior of of their sin-sick souls, that God would give them spiritual eyes to see. Let that be our prayer as we interact with our lost friends, as we interact and engage daily wherever God has placed us. I'm reminded of of a time whenever I was on Nichols campus, it was a witnessing encounter when... We would go out from the BCM or the BSU in those days. We'd go out from the BCM on campus and we would witness in groups of two. And as we would go out in groups of two, we would just find people to engage in in conversation. There was one particular day where we went into the quad, uh, which was just it it was a green space in the middle of all the buildings. Uh, And as we went there, there was a guy sitting on the bench. And, uh, and I, I went up to him he's just outside of the business hall, and I went up to him and I began sharing the gospel with him, talking to him first, and and then began sharing the gospel and After a time a quite, quite a bit of time sharing the gospel we had we had spoke about God as creator, the one who who uh, who has who has been good in, in creating us and uh, creating us even in his image, and spoke of the depravity of man and sin and how we are separated from God, but then God in his grace is And in his goodness sent a savior, Christ. So just walk through salvation and 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 got to the point of 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 a response, man's response. So God, man, sin, Christ, the savior, and then man's response to the work of Christ. And it was at that point that I said, are are you ready to to profess faith in Christ and and believe upon the work of Christ? And he said, no. Well, before that, I had said, do you understand everything that I've that we've shared? Do you understand the gospel? Yes, I understand the gospel. And then I said, are you ready to profess faith in Christ? And he said, no. And at that point, I was floored. I wasn't expecting him to say no, because I thought the conversation would be going great. And and I felt like the Holy Spirit was speaking through me as we were sharing the gospel. And the the friend of mine, he was praying as I was sharing. And and I just felt like this this guy was about to be uh, be converted to Christ and trust in Christ. And then all of a sudden he said, no. And so I said, are you sure you understand what I've been saying? Are you sure you understand the gospel? And he said, yes, I understand the gospel. I asked him again, I said, well, then why why don't you desire to surrender your life to Christ as Lord? He said, I don't want to. And I'll never forget, as he just sat there on the bench, unmoved, straight faced. The hope of the gospel had not penetrated his heart. It had not gone from his mind down to his heart. He understood the gospel, but he rejected it. And that was the first time that I had ever encountered a person who acknowledged their own sin, believed that Christ was the one sent by God to redeem humanity, but refused to entrust his life. And it was that day... That this truth came to light for me. He couldn't believe because he wasn't one of Christ's sheep. I pray, though, that God would open his eyes. I, see, that's the that's the human side of this. We see the divine side and that God is drawing people, but we see the human side and that. You and I are are called as ambassadors of Christ to go into to share the gospel and to sow seeds of the gospel into the lives of individuals. We are to be faithful in proclaiming the gospel and to sharing the hope of the gospel with those who don't know the hope of Christ. Jesus told the Jews, you don't believe because you're not of my sheep. It's a difficult reality to hear. The third truth we see about Jesus's messiahship is seen in verses 27 through 30. That is, there is eternal security in following the good shepherd. There is eternal security in following the good shepherd. He says in verse 27, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. As we saw last week, the the sheep respond to the voice of the shepherd. In fact, verse 3 says, To him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. He calls them. He calls their name, and they follow him. He calls your name. He calls my name. Nick, follow me. And I follow him. Jesus knows the sheep of his fold. And as the good shepherd, he leads the sheep out and and the sheep follow him. The question I want to ask us to consider this morning is what does it mean practically to say that his sheep follow him? We can have this picture of sheep following a shepherd around as he he leads him throughout the countryside. Right. But what does it mean very practically day in and day out for his sheep? That's believers in Christ to follow the shepherd. That's Christ. What does that mean? We know that we've seen a picture this morning of 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 how it begins through through the waters of baptism, dying to self and being raised to newness of life in Christ. But how does it intersect every day in our lives? Think about the woman at the well in John chapter four. Do you remember the story? Jesus is there. The woman comes and he says, give me a drink of water. And the dialogue begins to ensue. And then Jesus, it ends with Jesus offering her living water. And she says, Lord, give me this water. And she didn't understand. But the point of what Jesus was was saying to her is that this water that he would give her would be a soul satisfying water. And it wasn't that it would change the everyday mundane activity of her life. No, she would still have to come to the well to draw water. The point was it gave purpose and it gave joy into her soul. It gave her significance so that it transformed the everyday mundane activity of her life into something that was glorious as she would walk with Christ. Isn't it the same, brothers and sisters, for you and I? This glorious transformation that the good shepherd calls us to as he says, follow me. The call or the reality of following Jesus intersects our everyday mundane routine of life. We must realize, church, that our vocations, the good shepherd provides for us. He provides in our vocations. He leads us. He directs us in everything that we do. He desires to lead us. I had a friend that called uh, called me on the phone last week, and we were talking about how God, just sharing, encouraging one another, how God was uh, was working in our lives. E- each of us just sharing about what God was doing. And as he was sharing, he, he's, and he shared this so many times before, but he, he has such a desire and a heart to be involved in full-time ministry. And what he means by that, he, he wants to be serving in a local church, but he's been in the same profession uh, for, for the last 18-plus years. He's got a wife, and he's got four children, ranging from fifth grade all the way into college. And, and this brother is a tremendous brother. He would go sometimes and, and go on visitation with me and, and just had a heart. To love people and to care for them and to shepherd them. And I knew what he was saying about wanting to devote his life to serving the church and being on staff at a church. But, but I told him the reality is he he's in full time ministry. The reality is the vocation that God has given him, that is the the full time ministry that that he's been given. His job is his ministry And I encourage him the way that he submits to his boss and and the way that he serves his co-workers is a reflection of the gospel every day, in and out. I told him, brother, you have an opportunity to affect lives for the change of the gospel that I will never have an opportunity to affect change in. You have an opportunity to speak the life and the truth of the word of God into the hearts and the minds of those that that God has placed you in the area uh, around that that he's placed in your vocation. I said, that's a precious thing. Don't overlook the ministry that God has given you. And I would say it to us as we look through this passage, what does it mean to follow him? means he leads us even into the every, every day, into the vocations that we have. Be it just beginning to work or even in our retirement years, he leads us every day. We must recognize that God has given us a unique position to use for his glory, to use for his fame. We display the gospel for all to see who we interact with from the stay-at-home mom to teachers, from salesmen to executive officers, and everywhere in between, God has gifted us with vocations that we are to use for His glory, and we are to display the gospel every day in our interaction with others. And so get this, the, the good shepherd doesn't say, you go to work, and then you come back, And I'll be here waiting for you. Right. Or when you read the word in the morning before you leave to go to your employment, he doesn't say, all right, well, when you come back, I'll be right here waiting for you. No, the good shepherd leads us. He directs us. He he goes in front of us. He goes before us. He leads us each step of the way. The question is, are we following the good shepherd's leadership? Are we those sheep who are following his lead? He speaks of three realities of this eternal security for his sheep in verses 28 through 30. The first one we see in verse 28, it's the perseverance of the saints. Look at what he says. I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hands. In other words, what's eternal life? Well, it is to live eternally, right? We live forever forever. Christ gives eternal life to all those who are his sheep. And then secondly, we will never perish. Physically, we may die, but eternally we will never perish. We will live on forever with Christ and we will enjoy being in his presence and his goodness. And then listen, listen to the last portion of that verse. No one will snatch them out of my hand. It's amazing. No one is able, no one is powerful enough to snatch us, the sheep, out of Jesus' hand. No one can snatch the sheep from Jesus' hand. Secondly, we must rejoice in the reality of the Father's divine grip in verse 29. My Father who has given him to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. You can't snatch them out of the Father's hands either. Our response to this great truth must be a response of rejoicing. Because if you're like me, I need to know and I need to be reminded and reassured that God's grip is greater than my own grip. I need to know that my salvation is secure beyond my ability to walk and not sin. We need to know that. This is the. This is the divine hand of God gripping the believer and saying, you will not be taken out of my hand. It's similar to what Paul says in Colossians three, as we saw this morning during our Sunday school time. He says he says it's about the security of those who have died and, and been raised with Christ, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. see. So here's the point. God and Christ are engaged together to protect the believer. And Paul speaks of this truth, even bringing in the, the role of the Holy Spirit in Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. Paul speaks of similar working of the spirit by saying in the same way, the spirit also helps our weakness For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. In other words, when I don't know how to pray, the Spirit of God within me intercedes before the throne of God on my behalf with words that are too deep for groaning, too deep for me to even understand how I should pray. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Romans 8, 26 and 27. No one is able to overpower God. No one is able to snatch the believer away from his grip. Think about my own journey and my own time of spending wondering from the father running from the father as a sheep that had broke away and 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 began grazing in pastures that I shouldn't have been in. And all through that time, I I can remember hearing my father saying, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. Parents, I want to encourage you. There are any parents this morning gathered here who. Who have, who have been praying for their children, desperately praying for their children, who at one point in life seemed to profess Christ as Lord, but then walked away, I want to encourage you, don't give up praying for them. Continue to pray. Continue to ask God to do a work of, of saving, and of continue to ask God to do a work of bringing them and restoring them back into fellowship with Himself. The third reality of eternal security is seen in verse thirty. And that is unity between God, the father and God, the son unity between God, the father and God, the son. In verse 30, look at what he says. I and the father are one. You know, this is one of the strongest and clearest statements in the gospel of John. That speaks of Christ as God, the son. And he means that he's one in mind. He's one in purpose and he's one in action with the father. And as the good shepherd, Jesus is determined and has pledged to guard his sheep from harm. And so we. We see through Christ's life, his divine plan. Being lived out and we see the divine plan of God being unfolded so that in John six thirty nine. Jesus says, this is the will of him who sent me that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. And then again in John 17, 12, while I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me. And I guarded them and not not one of them perished, but the son of perdition so that the scripture would be fulfilled. You see, the believer can be assured of the good shepherd's protection. And provision. And we can rest in the truth knowing that God's grip is stronger than any other. What Jesus begins in the life of his sheep, he continues until the day of their glorification with the Father. That means as He has begun a work in each of our lives, he continues that work and brings it to glorification. The second scene is the scene in response of unbelief. They ask for Jesus to state plainly whether or not he was the Christ in verse 24. Verse 31 reveals the plainness of Jesus' words as being intolerable for them. The Jews picked up stones to stone him. They heard the words of Jesus, and there was no mistake when he said, I and the Father are one, they knew what he was claiming. And so I want us to see quickly the response of unbelief Charges Jesus with blasphemy. The response of unbelief charges Jesus with blasphemy. This is still the case today. He asked them in verse 32 I showed you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? His works alone might have been tolerable, but his words weren't. They said, You, being a man, make yourself out to be God. They understood his claim, they were fine. With a miracle-working Messiah, but they wanted a Christ of their own devising. They, they didn't want a Christ to challenge their practices and their their presuppositions. I think this is the way that many practice their following of Jesus today. Many today are are in it for what they can get, but not truly surrendered to Christ's lordship and rule over their lives. They want a Jesus of their own making. They want one who would fit within the context of their own idea of who Christ, the Messiah, should be. But his words and works together reveal the truth of his being and the truth of his mission. I and the Father are one. The works that Christ does are the works that the the Father himself has given him to do. So he's the divine son He isn't making himself God or making himself anything. He is God. He is God, the son sent by the father to bring light and life to mankind. This is the truth and the hope of the gospel. But not only does the response of unbelief charge Jesus with blasphemy. We see that. It also rejects him as the sanctified son of God sent into the world. Because the reality is all who reject Jesus really are making the same claim that Jesus isn't who he claims to be. They're making the same claim that that these Jews were making, calling Jesus a blasphemer. And even today, those who reject Jesus, they they make this same claim. Think about it. They're making this charge. This charge of unbelief is is one that that is rejecting Christ and is attributing to Christ blasphemy. And so they reject him as the sanctified son that was sent into the world in verses 34 through 36. Jesus speaks to their charge of blasphemy by citing an odd text, right, from Psalm 82 6. We read this text and we think, what in the world does that mean? But this text is where God rises in the divine council to pronounce judgment on beings who are called gods. And he's charging them to administer justice. Justly, But instead, they were minister. They were administering justice unjustly. And as the priests of God's people, they were to be the just judges. But instead, they were showing favor to the wicked rather than upholding the rights of the oppressed and the vulnerable of society. And so as inferior beings, God calls them gods and sons of the most high. And so Jesus's line of reasoning is this. Therefore, why is it blasphemous for the sanctified sent one of the father to call himself the son of God in verse thirty six? And the point that Jesus is making is that scripture can't be broken in verse thirty five. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came. And scripture cannot be broken, he says. The reality is, is it's an inconvenient truth. But an inconvenient truth is still truth when confronted by God's word. And for each of us, I would I would challenge us in this way. Though the truth of God's word sometimes is inconvenient and it challenges exactly where we are in our our belief The truth of God's word in our life, we must submit to it. But the Jews rejected it. They rejected this truth that Jesus was speaking. Jesus' work gives us a window into his word. We see this in verses 37 through 39. If I do not do the works of my father... Do not believe me, he says. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works, so that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I in the father. If they would believe the miracles, if they would simply examine the evidence, they they would know the works were from the father and it would be open It would be open, their way would would be open to understanding and, and they would know who Jesus was and they would accept the truth of his messiahship. But the reality is they can do no such thing because they are not of his sheep. Brothers and sisters, I encourage us in this that we have the whole counsel of God's word to teach us. And teaches us of God's truth in Christ and the mystery of faith, our salvation in Christ has been revealed to us by the Word of Christ. As First Peter 1,10 and 12 says, "As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful, careful searches and inquiries. And it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in these things, which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which the angels long to look. And so what John is showing us is that the works of Christ display or reveal to us the word of Christ. But now we have this word on full display And we have the presence of his spirit within us as his children. No longer does his work give the window into his word. Now, get this, believer, his word gives us a window into his work. For we learn of God's work and will through his word. This is the truth for every believer. We come to God's word And we learn of his will and his work in our life, and we learn of how he desires to use us. The third scene. Is simply this Jesus withdraws in verses 40 to 42. He went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was first baptizing and he was staying there. You know, this closing is a it's a fitting closing. It's a fitting reminder of perhaps the greatest witness that scripture records as he references John the Baptist, where John was first baptizing. And and so John himself being the forerunner of Christ, John the Baptist, it says that while John didn't perform any sign, everything that he said about this man was true. The point that. John, the gospel writer, is making here at the closing of this text is that John the Baptist's testimony ought to speak to us all. John the Baptist was one who finished well, long after his death, his witness continues to point others to see Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And many there believed in him. The challenge I would. Issue to us is simply this: May we be such witnesses for Christ as John the Baptist we see here at the end. As a result of everything that he had said, when Jesus arrives there, many believed in him on that day. I want to challenge us this morning: Is in each of our lives, as the sheep of God's flock, are we following the Good Shepherd? Are we following where He is leading us in our vocation and conversations that we ought to be having and evangelizing the lost with the gospel? Are are we rejoicing in the divine grip of God in our lives? Believer, are you trusting in and resting in this tremendous and wonderful and glorious truth that, that God is at work in you and desires to complete this work and will complete this work in your life? Are we being faithful to share the gospel and trusting God for the results? This morning, uh, are you one of the sheep in Jesus's fold? Do you know Jesus as the Messiah? Do you know him as the son of God who is powerful, who is sent from the father? I pray that you do. If you don't this morning. I would like to share more about what it means to know this good shepherd, to know the one who eternally holds our life in his hands, the one who is so powerful that we cannot fall through his grip. No one can snatch us out of his hand. If that describes you this morning. I'd like to pray for you. And you, you're welcome to come here down front this morning and, and let me pray with you or uh, or even find me after service and let me talk with you and pray with you. this morning, maybe you as a believer, maybe you need to surrender to Christ and some things that you've been running from. Maybe for you, it's a fresh commitment to be faithful in being a minister of Christ's word in, in your vocation and be faithful in sharing the gospel, evangelizing the lost. I don't know how the Lord is speaking to you this morning, but I pray that as he speaks, that you will be faithful to follow him and to listen and to hear him. Let me close us in prayer and you respond as the Lord leads you this morning. Let us pray. Father. As we close our time looking in your word. I pray that you would take your word and that you would use it to. uh, To sharpen our lives and to transform us and to encourage us. Lord, thank you for the wonderful truth that. That you don't abandon us and that you keep us in your hand and no one can snatch us out of your hand. Thank you, Jesus, for the hope of our salvation and the security of our salvation. We thank you that you have purchased our lives by giving of your own. And now, Lord, we pray that you would strengthen us to live for you and for your glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand this morning?